Man, what a great reminder of God's grace over our lives, what he does. And how's everyone doing this morning? You guys doing good? Good? It's good to see each of you here. Um, we're glad that you're with us. And if you're our guest, once again, we want to welcome you. If you're new to NCC or if you're watching later this week online, thanks for joining with us. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're a church that's passionate about making people and places new, and it's our hope that you would experience that this morning while you're with us. And we are in our third week of this series that we've called Solus, and we're talking through some of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. And so we started the first week, Solus means alone, and so we talked about Scripture alone, how it's Scripture alone that guides our life. And so it's that ultimate authority, it's that ultimate guide inside of our life. We're not looking to the world around us about how we should live our life. We're not just looking at culture and what they say. We're looking at God's word and we're living our life according to scripture. And so that was that first week that we talked about that. Last week we talked about faith alone and how our faith alone is in the work of Christ and what he did on the cross. And so we are in right relationship with God, not because of the good things that we've done, not because of our works or the effort that we've put into that. It's simply in the work of Christ, and it's our trust in what he did on the cross that that's what brings us into right relationship with God. And that's going to overlap a little bit of what we're talking about today, because today we want to tackle this idea of grace alone, grace alone. And we want to look at once again, not just some doctrinal statement, not some theological stance. We want to look at how does grace affect our everyday life? What does it mean, grace alone? And what does God's grace do for us as believers and as followers of Christ? And what does that mean for us every single day? You know, I've mentioned a couple of times in the stories that I've told how when I was a little boy, I grew up in Arkansas and lived in a small town and we were right um, smack dab in the middle of the Ozark Mountains. I don't know if you've ever been, been there, but it's a beautiful area. And our house was actually built on the side of a mountain. And so that's where I spent five years of um, elementary kind of age going through elementary school. That's where we lived at. And next to our house, there was a dirt road. I always knew it went somewhere. I'd never really been up it before. But my dad had told me, you know, it kind of dead ended about a mile and a half. And so one day after Sunday church service, my brother and I, we, um, we headed out and we wanted to go exploring. And so we went up that road. There was a friend with us. And we got pretty far up the road. We were in the woods and we were kind of messing around and playing some games. And we came upon this house. I'm guessing this guy was a hillbilly that lived there, okay? Because he had stuff out in his front yard and everything. And, and there was this mound of dirt that kind of ran alongside of his house. And, you know, we could see old, what looked like old abandoned vehicles and different things. And then his house was kind of in the back of this clearing and there was woods all around it. And then we could see where the road ended. And, and so we were there and my brother looks at me and he says, Aaron, I dare you to go touch something. I don't know why he thought that would be cool, but I was like, okay, I'm a little brother, so I'm going to do this. I'm brave enough. And so I, I crawl over the mound of dirt that's running alongside of his house. I'm like crouched down because I don't know if the guy's there or not. And I start to walk towards what was the first kind of abandoned vehicle that I saw there when all of a sudden something jumped out at me from behind the house and was running towards me. And it looked like, man, this five-foot wolf with teeth that were so sharp. And it was barking at me and growling. You guys, I ran faster than I've ever ran in my life. 
And I jumped over the mound of dirt. I didn't even look to see if Michael and my friend were behind me. I just took off down the side of the mountain. And after I had ran for what seemed like a long time, but it was probably only a few seconds, I looked back and Michael and my friend, my brother and my friend, they were right there with me. And we noticed that the dog had stopped right where we were at the mound of dirt. And we're looking and he's barking at us and we're looking up at him. And, and I'm wondering, is he going to keep chasing or are we going to have to keep running? But he doesn't. He stops right there. It was like there was some invisible line there. And he's just growling at us. He's looking at what we're going to do. And then eventually he loses interest and he goes back towards the back of the house where he was at. And we did the stupidest thing we could do. We went right back up to where he was. And don't hold this against me because we were little kids, but we started throwing like pine cones and sticks at him. We were trying to get him and get his attention. And sure enough, he would run at us. This same thing happened over and over again. He would run at us. We'd take off down the hill. He'd start barking. He'd get right to where that mound of dirt was, um, running down the side of that guy's property. And then he would stop right there and he would just look and stare at us. And eventually we lost interest. We went back home and he came down and talked to my dad and said, hey, that dog's actually part wolf. Your kids don't probably want to be playing with them. And so we didn't ever go back up there again. But as I thought about that, I was like, that's pretty amazing. This guy trained his dog. He didn't have an invisible fence. There was no fence. But he trained him to go to that line and to stop right there. And that dog knew that boundary. Like he knew that point at which he could go and that he wasn't supposed to go any further. And he had learned that. And then I thought about our lives and how in so many areas of our lives, we've not created that boundary around our life. And we don't have that line. No one's drawn that line. And so when it comes to issues, what we're going to talk about today of issues of sin in our life and even God's grace, we don't know where that boundary is. We don't know exactly what it looks like. Many times we're playing a guessing game of maybe what we think it is, but we're not absolutely sure. And if we don't understand what sin is, and if we don't know where God has drawn those lines, then we end up hurting ourselves and there brings confusion, and we don't fully understand what we're going to talk about, God's grace, and what that means for our life. And so I want us to start by just doing that, by drawing some lines in the ground, by us having an understanding of what sin is. Sin is not that moment at which God gets angry with you. Some of us come to that understanding, okay? Sin is not God up in heaven waiting to judge you or waiting to condemn you. That's not what sin is. Sin is that God has created these boundaries or this design for your life. And whenever you and I, we disobey God, we step out of those boundaries. We go to the place where we do not belong and where we should not be at. It brings destruction in our life. It's disobedience to God. And God says, hey, that's sin. But sin isn't just the wrong things that we do. Like maybe that's what we think of a lot of, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to lie. I'm not supposed to steal. I'm not supposed to commit adultery. All of these things may be the big sins. But sin is also when you know what's right and you don't do it. This is what James says. It says, if there's a person and you know the right thing to do, you know what God wants you to do, you know God's designed for your life, but you choose to not do that, well, then that's sin. That means we've missed God's mark for our life. And many of us, once again, we think of sin of, oh, that's just God mad at me, but it's not. It means we've stepped out of God's boundaries for our life. And just like me on that hillside that day, death and destruction was waiting for me. And it is in our life, whenever we step out of God's boundaries, you can be sure of this, that death and destruction is the natural consequence of that. And just like we misunderstand what sin is, and we're trying to guess at it many times, we don't have a clear understanding of what God's grace is. And we're trying to guess at it. And many of us think of grace in the wrong way. Many of us think of grace maybe like a part of Monopoly. How many of you guys played Monopoly growing up? Anyone? I love playing that game. 
And some of us, we think, oh, well, grace is like that point in Monopoly where you flip over the chance card and you get this right here, get out of jail free. And maybe that's what we think grace is. Like, I carry around this card, I'm a Christian, and that's my get out of jail free card. And at some point, I'm gonna die or my life is gonna end and I'm gonna go to heaven and I'm gonna show that to someone, St. Peter or some angel. And all of a sudden, I won't have to go to hell, but I'll get to go to heaven. And so that's what grace is. It's my get out of jail free card. It's this insurance that I'm not gonna die and spend eternity away from God. But that's not what God's word says grace is. It's not just this thing that we pull out at some point far off in the future and it gets us out of hell or gets us off. That's not what grace is. Some of us, we assume, although we may not say this, oh, grace means that I can keep on sinning. That's what grace is, right? Like God's forgiveness over, God loves me, God's compassionate, God's kind. And so grace must mean that that God's just going to look the other way. He's going to kind of turn a blind eye to all of the bad things that I do. And when I get into heaven, he's going to pat me on the back and say, hey, it's okay, you tried, and, and it's okay, your sin doesn't really matter. And that's what we assume grace is. It's just God's forgiveness and, and that he's going to give us a pass for all of our sins. That's not what grace is, you guys. Some of us, and this is especially popular in our culture, we assume grace can be substituted for the word tolerance. And that's what we think. That grace means that we have to tolerate one another's sin and that we have to be okay when the other person sins. And maybe we even have to celebrate one another's sins because all of us mess up. And so we just need to tolerate what's going on in everyone else's life. And it doesn't matter what you do. You're okay and I'm okay. And that's what grace means. But that's not what we see in scripture. That's a very distorted picture of what we see in God's word. And so like we've done every week, I want us to go to God's word and I want us to gain a clear understanding of grace and exactly what this means in each of our life and how we understand this. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter two and we're gonna start reading at verse one. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay in the seat in front of you or maybe one or two seats over, there's a blue Bible and you can turn to page 568. And I want to encourage everyone this morning to open up God's word, grab one of those Bibles, take out your phone and Google Ephesians 2.1, and you'll get there. And I want you to follow along with us as we look at God's explanation of grace in our life and what it helps us understand both about sin and about God's forgiveness and his power inside of us. Once you have that, go ahead and hold on to that for just a quick moment. And if you've never read the book of Ephesians before, let me give you a snapshot of what's going on. This is a letter that's written to a church in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. And it's written by a man named Paul. And Paul would travel from city to city and he would start churches. He was sharing the grace of God, the love of God, the story of what Christ had done with everyone that he came in contact with. And churches were being formed all over this area, which was known as Asia Minor. And after Paul had left and he'd been gone from um, the church in Ephesus for a little bit, he wrote a letter back to them just explaining God's grace and explaining the power of the church. He calls it the mystery of God throughout all ages that God is now revealing that he's building up his church and he's using us as believers to spread his love and to spread the story of what Christ has done. And Ephesus was a key city because it was known as the gateway of Asia. And it was a major commerce city. And so it was strategic that Paul wrote the letter here because he knew if I can get the letter to Ephesus, that it will probably be spread along all the travel routes and around all of the other major cities. And so what he's writing to them is very important because he knows that it's going to be spread with others. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. This is what he writes to the church. 
He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So he wants to give him that picture. You had died in your sins and in your trespasses, and that's how you were walking. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were walking right along with Satan and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and our mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." Then he says it again, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what is Paul writing? What is it that he wants the church then to understand? What is it that God wants us to understand as we talk about this idea that it's grace alone at work inside of our life? What does this mean for us? Well, the first thing that Paul kind of jumps in with are these pictures that he gives us. And the first thing he says is he says, hey, you were trespassing. Now, if you've ever been somewhere and you see that sign and it gives caution and it should, that's what it's meant to do. Hey, you don't belong here. There's a boundary here and you don't need to cross over on that. And that's what Paul is saying. That's how you and I, that's how we lived our lives in sin. We had stepped out of God's boundary for our life. We had wound up in a place that you and I, we did not belong and we were not supposed to be living there, but that's where we were walking. And the person that we were walking with, that Paul reminds us, it's the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. And he's saying, you may have not realized it, but when you're living in disobedience to God, when you're walking with sin in your life, you're holding hands with Satan. And you're saying, hey, let's do this together. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. You've stepped out of God's boundaries for your life. And the second picture along with trespassing that Paul gives us is he says, you were dead in your sins. And so you probably don't think that, right? You probably don't walk into your work and see someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and think, man, they're just a dead person walking. But that's what Paul says. That's what's happening. He said, there's not a physical, but there's a spiritual death that has happened in each and every one of us whenever we stepped outside of that boundary. He said, there was sin in your life. And so he's wanting you to understand this. If you and I, if we don't get the picture of sin, if we don't realize what sin is, and if we don't understand that, the grace of God, it doesn't really seem that important. This idea of grace alone, we're like, okay, I kind of get it, but what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is you and I are dead without Jesus without a relationship with Christ, without accepting his gift, we're walking around as dead people. We're bound and we're chained in our sin. That's how we're living our life. And so that's where he starts at is you need to understand what sin did to each and to every one of us in order to understand the power of grace and what happens in that moment. And so that's what Paul is doing. He starts by painting this picture. There's sin in your life and my life and that sin will destroy us. And so in other parts of the Bible, that's what he says is, he says, you know what your sin does? You know what happens every time that you lie? You chain yourself up. So I'm going to try to do a visual here this morning. Let's see if I can wrap this thing around me. And he says, you're trying to walk around. You're trying to live your life, but you're not truly free. You may think you're free. 
And you may think, this is the best life for me, but really you've wrapped yourself up in chains. He said, every time that you decide to lie, every time, oh man, I'm just going to take that. The company won't miss it, right? They've got so many things. They're not really going to notice that. And it's just a little thing. And I never really usually do this. And you've stolen from someone or from some organization. This is what you've done. You've wrapped yourself up. Every time you choose to participate in gossip. Is that a sin? Yes, the Bible's very clear about that. Oh, what'd they say about that person? Wait, whose marriage in the office is messed up? Who's having a relationship with you? And you're not talking about that person with them in the room to them. You're talking with other people. That's gossip, that's a sin. And you've now just bound up your life. You've chained yourself up. And this is what the enemy, the person that you and I have been walking hand in hand, this is what he wants you to believe is this is freedom. This is the best life. You serve God, you're missing out. This is so much fun. And what we fail to realize is we've been chained up and we're dead people walking around and we no longer have our freedom. That's the picture that Paul paints all throughout the New Testament as he's writing letter after letters. You and I, we become a slave to whatever masters us. That addiction in your life, that thing that you can't get away from, you're now a slave to it. It now owns you. And it controls you and it tells you what you can and what you can't do. That's what sin has done in your life. And this faulty idea that grace is, oh, God's just going to look the other way. God's just going to kind of pass it over that he's okay with this. That's a messed up idea about grace. Why? Because if God looks the other way, what happens? I stay like this. I stay like this, you guys. If God just turns a blind eye, then you and I, we're stuck like this because our sins have chained us up. That's what our sin has done. And if God just looks the other way, then you and I, we're stuck like this. And that's not what God did. That's not what grace did. So what Paul begins to explain, what is grace? Oh, grace is something that saves us from our sins. And grace, that's what it does. It saved you and I. It saved us from our sins. That's what God did. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And we need to understand that. You need to understand the reality of your sin. Why? Because it came at a cost. There was a price to be paid. Grace does not mean, oh, God kind of says, hey, you get out of jail free and no one really has to pay. This is kind of a pass. No, someone had to pay the price. And that person was Jesus. And so every time you and I lie, Every time we let that lustful thought kind of germinate inside of our heart and we keep on going back to it and we keep on thinking about it every time that we give in to sexual immorality, every time that we let murderous thoughts and hatred dwell inside of our heart and bitterness and slander and hatred, every time that we do that, it costs something, you guys. And it's not a free pass. Grace is not God turning his head away from us. It's him stepping into that moment. And what does grace do? It's God where he begins to unchain and unshackle those things that have been in our life. But as he did that, he took that upon himself. And you need to understand that, church. It cost God everything. He gave up all that he was so that you and I could know the freedom and the righteousness of Christ. So if you want to understand what grace is, you need to understand the reality of your sin and that you did not just get a free pass. I did not just get a free pass. Grace saved us from our sin. Jesus stepped in our place. He took this upon himself. Yes, he unchained us and he brought life to us, but it was at the cost of his own life. He gave all that he was so that you and I, so that we could know that kind of grace. 
And there was a famous Christian writer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said this. He said, there is no cheap grace. There's no cheap grace. There's no grace that comes without a cost. And he says, Christ paid the debt of our sin on the cross, and we can't put a price on it. We can only marvel in terrified awe at its beauty. He said, when you truly understand what your sin has done and you truly understand what Jesus did on the cross, you begin to look at that. It's not like you think, oh, somehow I could pay God back for that. Somehow it's my good works that could do something right to right the wrong that I've committed against God. You realize, and I realize when we see what our sin has done, it's only the work of Jesus. It's only what Christ has done. It's only his unmerited favor over our life that covers and that stood in our place, that was that substitution for what you had done and for what I had done. Grace saves us from our sin. Church, that's what the power of God's grace does in our life. And maybe you've never realized that before. Maybe you've been working to appease God on your own. Maybe you've been living your life chained up and you didn't even know you were living chained up. You didn't know that you were living dead, but this is what God's word says is that that's how we're living in our sinful nature. And then there's this reminder that Christ came, that he gave his life, that grace saves us from our sin. But not only does grace save us from our sin, not only did Jesus stand in our place, not only do we have those chains off of us, but there's a second principle of grace, and it is this right here. Grace keeps us from sinning. Grace keeps us from sinning. What do I mean by that? Well, look at what Paul says. He says, by grace, you have been saved. And then he goes on to show you what that means. And Christ raised us up with him. And God seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that he might show his immeasurable riches of grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? Hey, not only has grace freed you from their sin, not only has grace brought forgiveness inside of your life, grace keeps you from sinning. That when you and I, when we truly understand what it is that Jesus has done and the power of God, this is a grace that reminds us that we don't have to go back to this, that we don't have to live like this any longer. See, it's this reminder, and that's what Paul is saying is, hey, church, you need to realize what Christ has done. That as he bought and as he redeemed your life, that he took you and he seated you in heavenly places. Now, what's he talking about? Because sometimes when we think about heaven, we're imagining, right, it's a few planets beyond maybe Mars or somewhere out there, right, Jupiter or Saturn, somewhere out there, that that's maybe what heaven is. Or maybe heaven is something that we get to whenever we die. It's some kind of other place out there. But Jesus is reminding us, when he came and preached, what did he say? Oh, yeah, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's at hand. It's right here. And in this, Paul is reminding the church, hey, when Christ came and saved you, when Christ came and redeemed you, he lifted you up. You're not walking in the same places that you were walking before. Yeah, you may physically still go into that same office, but it looks different because now you see things from a heavenly perspective. You see things different because the grace of God is over your life. You're walking in that same way that you walked before, but now things look different because God has lifted you up and now you're walking with Jesus. You're seated in heavenly places. That's what God's grace does for our life. It keeps us from sinning. So if you're a believer and you're saying, wait a minute, Aaron, but sometimes I still sin. Why is that? It's because we choose to do this. Pick these things back up. This is what we choose to do. 
See, I truly believe this, church, that at the moment you surrender your life to God, you surrender, surrender your life to Christ, he takes all of these chains, he takes your death, and he gives you new life. He brings freedom inside of you. So after that point, after that moment where Christ has redeemed you and he saved you, it's a decision now. Wait, do I go back to that? Oh, man, I remember what that was like. And we forget quickly. We quickly forget what it felt like to be in those chains. And as foolish as it may sound when you're thinking, wait, you're telling me that someone that was free, they're going to actually go back to being a slave? Yeah, we do that time and time again. Because the grace of God, not only does it save you from your sins, but it gives you the power to fight temptation. It gives you the power not to walk in that sinful nature anymore. But you and I, we get closer and closer and closer, and we forget where we're seated. We forget that we're in heavenly places with Christ, and we choose to go back down and start to pick these things back up and wrap ourselves back up in our sinful nature. And Paul's reminding us that's not how God meant you to live. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, you're no longer held bound by these things anymore. These things no longer have a control over you. Paul wrote in a different letter to the Corinthians. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he's talking about this idea of sin. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may endure it. What's Paul saying to, there, to that church? He's saying God's grace is in your life now, believers. If you're part of the church, if you're following after Jesus, God's grace is in your life. And yes, temptation may come. Oh man, I could tell this lie, and I think I'd get out of it. But God's saying, hey, I made a way of escape. You don't have to do that anymore. And you're not facing something that, that is new. You're not the only person in the world that has faced sexual temptation. You're not the only person in the world that has been tempted to lie to the person that loves you or betray that person. You're not the only one that has felt that feeling of, man, I could just get back at them and I could let them know what it feels like. Everyone's faced that. But now Paul's saying as believers, you have the way out. That thing no, no longer controls you. And so what he's reminding of is, is God's given you the way out. You can now step away from those things. They no longer have you bound, church. They no longer have control. Jesus has brought freedom in our life. Grace has brought freedom. And now we can walk away from those things. I, I read this story. I've read it before. Maybe you've heard of it. It was the story of a man who's walking down the road and he's going past um, I guess it was like a circus. And he sees these beautiful, large elephants out there. And as he's walking by, he notices that each of the elephants had this small, really thin rope tied around their legs and staked into a peg in the ground. And as he's observing them, they're not even really pulling on it. They're not tugging on it. They're staying right within the boundaries of kind of where this rope is at. And he goes up to the ringmaster. He goes up to the guy who, who's taking care of the elephants and he's asking them, hey, couldn't the elephants just snap the rope? Like, couldn't they just run off? And he's like, yeah, they could. But whenever they were young, the rope was strong enough to hold them. And so they never realized that as they grew up, as they moved from a small elephant to this large, you know, couple of ton animal, that they could easily just pull their leg and they could snap that. Their mindset never changed. 
And so we don't have to chain them up. We really don't have to do that much. They're not going to pull on that rope beyond where they can go because something's gotten in their mind that told them, hey, this is where you're stuck at. That's how we're living as Christians. Church, that's how so many of us are living. We still think this thing has a hold of us. You still think your sin and your addictions have you, and you think there's no way I can break out, God. This thing's got me, and it just keeps on pulling me back. And this is what God's word is saying. No, my grace is present there in your life. My grace that saved you from your sin is the same grace that's going to keep you from sin. This no longer controls you. I've brought freedom in your life by what I've done. That's the truth of God's word, church. You're not held by this anymore. You're not bound by these things anymore. Jesus says, hey, I brought freedom in your life. You don't have to live like that anymore. See, this is not a grace that just brings forgiveness in our life. This is a grace that raises you and me up and it seats us in heavenly places. We don't have to walk like we've walked before. We don't have to be bound by those things. Let me give you just one more idea about grace as I wrap this up. But Paul ends this passage once again, first, or in Ephesians chapter 2, we've read verses 1 through 9, but in verse 10, he kind of puts the cap on this idea of grace, and he says this, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, not only is this a grace that brings forgiveness where Christ took my place, not only is this a grace that brings freedom, right, and, and it keeps me from sin. I'm no longer bound by these things, but this is a grace that gives us what we need. This is a grace that gives us what we need. What is Paul saying? What does grace do? It reminds us we are God's workmanship, that Christ has created us to do good, good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you want to know what grace does in your life? Not some theological statement, not just some doctrinal stance. It means this, that you walk into the workplace, students, you walk into that classroom and you know that person that's hurting and you feel like, hey, I should go say something to them. Maybe God could use me to encourage them, but I don't know the scripture like Pastor Aaron does or I don't know the right words to say. You need to remember this, God's grace is over your life. And church, you're his workmanship. And before you and I, before we were ever even formed, he said, I've been creating good works for you to do, and my grace is present there for you to do. Pastor and I don't know what to pray over that person that's going through divorce. I don't have the right words to say through the hurt that they're going through. It's okay. God's grace is present for you in that moment. You're his workmanship, and he's created you to do good works. What does his grace do in your life and in my life? Not only does it bring freedom for sin, not only does it bring forgiveness for sin, it sets us up to do the work of God. And so when you feel that call, man, I should be generous. I don't know how to talk to someone that's homeless. What if I don't say the right word? Remember, his grace is there in that moment. That's what Paul is saying. You're his workmanship. God's been working on you. He's been doing something in your life. His grace has been setting you up for that moment that you could reach out and share his love with other people. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to pray the right prayer, but just stepping out in that moment and saying, God, I'm willing. I'm willing, Lord, let your grace cover me. He said, I've already done it. I've prepared these good works for you to do. Church, I wanna pray for us this morning. I'm gonna ask if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. And take a moment and reflect on the grace of God.
See, there may be those of you here this morning and you're still living in those chains and you've not taken that first step of grace to say, God, I realize that you've taken my place. Maybe you're trying to fight it on your own. You're trying to be good enough on your own. And this morning you're realizing I can't. And Aaron, my life is headed towards destruction. And if that's you, I'm here this morning to remind you, God's grace is enough for you. He stepped in your place. He's offering his gift of life. We just have to receive it. Or maybe you're here and you've already started that relationship with God. Maybe you've been walking with God, but there's still sin in your life. You keep on going back to those habits that you had. You keep on going back to addictions. You've not realized that grace means you don't have to live like that anymore. And you've forgotten that you're seated in heavenly places, that you're now walking with Christ Jesus. And this morning, you need God's grace to remind you of that, of what he said over you, what he's spoken over your life. Or for some of you in this room, maybe you've been serving God for a while and you thought, hey, grace meant that God changed my life 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago. And this morning, God's reminding you, no, you need my grace tomorrow. You need my grace for what you're gonna face this week. There's gonna be conversations that you have. There's gonna be relationships. You need my grace in this moment to do every good work that I've called you to do. God's grace is needed for each and every one of us, no matter where you're at.